Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode, Tony Pedragon joins to recap the first two races of the countdown and look forward to St. Louis. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. Championship surprises and who are the dark horses we need to pay attention to in this late stretch of the season. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car. Going through the finish line stripe, Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Loans here with the NHRA Insider Podcast. Welcome to this edition that is coming out just after we left ZMAX Dragway. Uh, the second race of the NHRA Countdown to the Championship. Tony Pedregon going to be on the show today as we look at not only what happened in Charlotte and in Maple Grove, but also what we may expect to happen this weekend in St. Louis, Missouri. It has been, uh, well, I should say, technically in Madison, Illinois, just across the river from St. Louis, Missouri at Worldwide Technology Raceway, a race that typically delivers um, jaw-dropping moments in one way or the other at this stretch of the year. We've seen some of the most crazy uh, moments here, whether it was Robert Hyde sending his body through the Jumbotron a few years ago while winning the race, Leah Pruitt's car breaking into pieces a couple of years ago. Uh, we have seen certainly championship runs that were faltering over the first couple of countdown races reversed at St. Louis, and that may be something certainly a few of those teams that we are going to talk about over the course of this show are intending to do. The rest of them are intending to keep their positions, which are points leaders right now, uh, Gage Herrera in Pro Stock Motorcycle, Matt Harford by a very slim margin in Pro Stock Car, and then we have our points leader of Robert Height in Funny Car and Doug Coletta having won the first two races of the countdown, leading the points in Top Fuel Eliminator. So uh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot going on. Uh, we did not have a show last week. I was on the road. I went out, uh, as I have done for many years, uh, Hot Rod Magazine Drag Week. We finished Maple Grove on Monday, which set me a day back on the Drag Week crowd, but I got down there and was able to uh, spend time with those racers and with Freiburger calling the event uh, Tuesday at Rockingham Dragway. Then we went Wednesday to Bristol Dragway, and then Thursday we were at Carolina dragway a place i had never been a really neat little track down there in jackson south carolina those three days provided a lot of action in a different form of drag racing than we normally see in the nhra and we had a nice cross promotion with the folks at hot rod magazine they brought up eight drag week competitors um, and they had a shootout of their own really really neat to see the two worlds kind of if not collide the two worlds collaborate and fans love to get a look up close and personal at these eight-second streetcars. And certainly, we enjoyed watching them go down the racetrack and enjoyed bringing that style of drag racing into a national event format. Um, th there's a lot to talk about just from Charlotte alone. It is a race that had pretty much every element you could want in a drag race. One of the major stories of the weekend that did come out was the disqualification of Tony Stewart uh, driving the McPhillips family injected nitro-burning dragster. Stewart, of course, in the thick of what he hopes to be a world championship season. Uh, he is racing Julie Natas really for the title, and Julie has retaken that lead. One of the things I think we need to talk about is the disqualification itself and there's been some questions around the internet of oh are they targeting this guy were they trying to were they trying to get Tony Stewart 
uh, which I think is just an astonishingly dumb uh, take here. I, I don't understand why people would sit at home and think, well, that's it. They're going to target Tony Stewart and do do whatever they can do to stop this guy. I, I think it's it's it, it's it's crazy um, at best, uh, moronic at worst, uh, at worst. What happened here was quite simply the fact that the tech department inspected the Magnetos on a handful of the top qualifying cars and top alcohol dragster. And the Magnetos that were on Tony Stewart's car, the car he's driving, the one owned and tuned by Rich McPhillips Jr. and Sr., uh, were found not to meet the specification for the class. And the team put a statement out and said, hey, we bought these parts used. They were unknowing to us. They were modified. And this is the this is the area that needs to be clarified when we talk about this disqualification. So in Top Alcohol Dragster, you cannot modify the magnetos at all. They have to be installed as delivered by MSD, uh, the Pro Mag 44. You can't do anything to it. I don't even think you can change the color of the thing. It, it has to be as delivered, installed per the factory instructions that come with the parts themselves. That is not the same rule that exists in every other class. For instance, in Pro Modified, that runs the same style of Magneto, you can modify those. And the way teams modify them typically in Pro Mod, amongst other ways, but they will put stronger magnets inside the Magneto. Now, in Pro Mod, you have a single mag on these engines. Obviously, in a, in a Nitro application, you run two because of the increased fuel volume, leading to the increased need for more spark and more electrical energy to make sure you keep the cylinders lit and the engine runs on all eight holes all the way to the finish line. So in Pro Mod, with a single magneto and no rules against modifying them, we will see these things hot-rodded. Just in the same way everybody, you hot-rod your streetcar, well, you can hot-rod even the hardest core of, of hot-rod parts, so to speak. And so I do not know the specific violation of the magneto that was found, or magnetos that were found to be out of compliance on the McPhillips family top alcohol dragster. But I do know that if they bought them used and if they did come from a ProMod team or with whatever vendor they bought them from, if that vendor had gotten them secondhand from a ProMod team, whatever, that the Magnetos could be modified legally in ProMod, it is not legal to have those modifications in top alcohol dragster. Now, I'm just trying to put the pieces together here on, uh, from what I know and kind of what I what I understand. Um, I do not know, again, if they specifically got them from a ProMod team. I don't know if they specifically got them from someone who had gotten them from a ProMod team. But long story short, they inspected the thing. It was found to be out of compliance. And because of that, he was not allowed to run the first round and earned no points at the event. This will have a negative effect, of course, on his ability to win a world championship. I don't necessarily think it completely closes the door on the possibility, but I know that it places them in a, a disadvantageous position going forward for the rest of the year. It was uh, it was a storyline that certainly came came at us hot and heavy. We reported on it in our television shows, the second qualifying show that ran at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. We talked about it. We've talked about it as we've begun to make our Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series show as well. Um, I have a really hard time believing that it was done intentionally uh, for a multitude of reasons. I, I try to place myself on both sides of this conversation. If I am the McPhillips family and I am tuning a car that is in a championship position that is operated by one of the most famous race car drivers in the world, I suspect that would not be the place to be monkeying around and doing something that was knowingly against the rules. 
Um, I, I don't think there's any advantage to it. I think when we look at the performance of that car, yes, it has won four races this year. And that's one of the things that, that you see on the other side of this. Well, they won four races this year. How long has that thing been in the car? Chances are it's been in there the whole year. Magnetos tend to be a, a piece that is in the car, that is operating in the car. Uh, and if it is operating correctly, then it's going to stay in the car. Now we go to the other side of it, and we go, how much of a performance advantage did this give them? And I don't know it did. I mean, we look at Julie, ran 5.12, as Tony wasn't sniffing anywhere close to that over the course of this race weekend. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to raw performance, that is a car that obviously runs very well, well enough to win a, a multitude of races, but it has not done so in a fashion that would call into question its legality. It has not outqualified the field by a tenth. It has not outrun, you know, the number two qualifier by some ridiculous margin. He has won a lot of very tight races, a lot of them coming by superior reaction time over the course of this year. So I, I think my final thought on it is the people that are freaking out that they're somehow targeting Tony Stewart is mind-boggling to me, as I've mentioned. But on the side of the sanctioning body, I was highly amused, confused, entertained by some of the takes I saw on social media that all of a sudden a lot of people that complain that there is not efficient or enough tech inspection in NHRA drag racing are suddenly claiming that now there's some sort of a global conspiracy against a guy because they actually did their job. Would it be a better situation if they had found it and then just kind of swept it under the rug and said, ah, well, just don't do it again? People would have lost their mind if that happened. So they're the example of the fact that there is no preferential treatment given to people per their legacy, per their stature, per their size in the sport is a good thing. Tony and I talked about it at the booth. I can only imagine the face of the tech inspector when he looked at those magnetos and discovered a problem. I can only imagine how the guy's stomach probably ended up in his heels at that point. But the decision was made. They did not fit the letter of the rule. Because of that, they were disallowed. And that's how that's going to go. When we show up to the next race with top alcohol dragsters... Uh, we're going to watch that car run. Everybody's going to watch that car run to see how well it goes. So, you know, it is what it is. It's happened. It's in the past. Uh, it is not the first time someone's been disqualified for components. It won't be the last time someone's been disqualified for components. But, you know, when we talk about the idea that the tech department is a an arbiter of truth and not a weapon or a... Uh, secret police setup that's going to go and, and take somebody out that you don't like, that's, that's to me, the system worked the way it's supposed to work in this instance. They decided to check Magneto's. Magneto's were found not to be legal. The person that had the illegal parts was taken out of competition. It is a flowchart. It's the flowchart. It's not a novel. It's not a fiction book. It's a flowchart. If legal, if yes, then you go here. Competition continues. If no, you go here and competition ends. That's how it went down there. So in the drag racing side of things, not in the tech department or tech inspection side of things, the race delivered um, incredible entertainment value. Qualifying was so fast uh, on Friday night. Qualifying was setting up to be pretty entertaining and pretty spicy on Saturday. And then we had about a four-hour rain delay, which moved that third and final session into the night. Mike Salinas runs 308th mile, earning $30,000 from Phillips Connect, becoming the first human being in drag racing history to take a wheel-driven car to 300 miles an hour and 660 feet in 2.93 seconds. 
the type of just mind-erasing performance that uh, we know and love in the world of nitro drag racing. So that was great. Uh, there were some questions, and, and this is another kind of inside baseball conversation that you were not privy to at home, but it's the type of stuff that we uh, see here and, and kind of interact with uh, over the course of a race weekend for what we do. And that is the idea that there were teams that were openly questioning why the NHRA was wasting the time to even have the third qualifying session. And that struck me as very funny, or not funny, it struck me as very interesting because some of these teams, these were larger teams. These were these were not like the small-time, small small-budget small teams. These were larger teams that were kind of openly questioning why there was going to be a third qualifying session. Fields were set. There was no bump spot. So why are we doing this? And obviously with a three-hour rain delay, the majority of the fans get washed out of the stands. And, you know, you start making this checklist of, well, the fields are set. Well, the fans have gone home. Well, the this, well, the that. Well, you're burning fuel for the safety safari to dry this thing and manpower and hours. But ultimately, to me, it comes down to an integrity situation. It comes down to the idea that this is a championship chase we're in right now. This is the countdown to the championship. And so this idea that you would not move heaven and earth to have the three sessions I am one of those people that's of the idea that it should be four sessions in the countdown. I, I, I personally have that feeling, um, and I realize that that's a decision that gets made uh, not by people's feelings but by a, a multitude of different factors. But I do believe that uh, that the four sessions in the countdown should be, um, should be almost like industry standard. But long story short, the, the bottom line was if any of these big teams didn't want to run the session, they didn't have to run it. If, if they were getting annoyed with how long we were at the racetrack and how long we were waiting and God only knows whether there was a dinner reservation or what was going on that they were going to miss, uh, they didn't have to run the session. We see the small-time teams do it all, all the time. We see small teams that are on a budget make the critical decisions they need to make. If they make a good hit in the first one, they'll oftentimes sit, maybe hit the third one, maybe hit the fourth one if there is uh, one at that particular race. So... The, the concept that um, anybody had, you know, a pistol to somebody's head that they had to run all three sessions was was non-existent. If you didn't like the idea that it was going to run on Saturday night, go home. And I'm not urging people to go home, but I'm also saying that, you know, you do have free will here. And if I'm in a championship situation and I'm a pro-level team, I want three sessions. If I can only get three, I want all three. I don't care how long it takes you to drive the racetrack. I want as much information in my back pocket. I want as many runs in my back pocket as I can have going into Sunday morning. And I'm glad the NHRA did it. I'm glad that we stayed uh, to 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 be there for it. I'm glad that we experienced what we did with performance. Obviously, the pro stock cars were not loving that racetrack. Uh, half the session got done before the rain came. The back half of the session, they dried it. They scraped it. They glued it they rotated it they did all the prep stuff but the pro stock cars were just hating it hating it racetrack of course came back around when we were competing on sunday but um the the last five six pairs of pro stock cars was a real was a real kind of um a feat of daring do to get it to the finish line that both camry caruso and erica ender showed us the final pair they both ran 657 a loose 657 a lot of steering in there so you know, regarding the the not even controversy regarding what went on with qualifying, 
I am of the mindset that it was the right move to dry the track and get the, the third and final session in. I'm glad that we saw the record. I'm glad that we saw major performances. I'm glad that we saw funny cars running in the bottom 380s. Uh, all of those things wouldn't have been part of this conversation and would have made Sunday less interesting to a degree. When we add that third session, we add those big performances, it is another element to Sunday that we would have had. And, of course, Sunday rolls around, and we have upsets, a plenty, and funny car. We have all kinds of great racing and top fuel. Uh, we know that Gage Herrera wins the race. We know that Greg Anderson wins the race. We know that Doug Coletta wins and Bob Tasker the third. And maybe two of those four were surprises. Maybe three of the four were surprises. I don't think anybody was surprised with Gage, but with Greg Anderson, as as he's had his struggles this year, I think that was a surprise to some people. I think Doug Coletta going back-to-back was a surprise to some people, maybe less so, but simply winning back-to-back in top field these days is very difficult. After having not won a race in years, they win two of them in six days. That's kind of a surprise. And Bob Tasker the third may fall in the same boat. I mean, he wins Topeka. We know the car is really good. We know that when the conditions present themselves, it can and will and has and likely will continue to run with the nastiest funny cars out there. Whether we're talking about the team of Caps, Height, Hagen, whoever, those guys can do it now. Not just once or twice. They can do it with regularity, and that's what we saw. So Charlotte, to me, was as entertaining as a drag race can be intrigue, controversy, speed, records, wins, uh, Cinderella stories, it was all there. And we come into St. Louis, third race of six in the countdown, a racetrack where Eric Enders has been dominant, absolutely dominant. St. Louis and Las Vegas, really two places where she has been otherworldly good in terms of her race results. And frankly, they're going to need that this year. Uh, they're going to need that. They're going to need to do something pretty big here to really kind of get themselves back where they want to be. Not too far out of it, but also not in a position of, of, of power to hold sway over the rest of the field. Matt Hartford does still hold the points lead in pro stock. It is very, very slim. Doug Coletta has moved himself into within a couple of rounds or less of the first place car in Top Fuel Eliminator right now. And when we look at pro stock motorcycle, uh, Herrera has taken the lead there. I just don't see him giving it back. We'll talk to Tony about that. And then finally, um, in the in the funny car category, Bob Tasker III is now in second. And second with a bullet, so to speak. He and Height, definitely the two best cars, the two best cars in the moment right now. You know, Height making the final but getting beat after the big explosion on Saturday night, or Friday night, rather. The Friday night explosion was just beyond words. You've all seen the still photos. You've all seen the video. Um, you've all seen how that team did not come back and just take it easy. They came right back out with the uh, with the hammers out, and they hammered their way down, um, you know, into these great performances in the '80s. They did not let what was a pretty cataclysmic-looking setback on Friday night slow them down over the course of the weekend. It all adds up to a St. Louis that is the crescendo of this first three races that are happening back to back to back. It's going to be warm. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be a lot different in terms of performance potential, I would argue, than Charlotte. Uh, we know the crowd is going to be great. Uh, Chris Blair of Worldwide Technology Raceway has been on social media talking about the fact that he can 
he can kind of call his shot and basically guarantee a sellout on Saturday at this race because of how good the pre-sale of tickets has been. The same can be said. He said all three days are bigger than they have been in years, and they typically have a strong what we would call walk-up crowd in St. Louis as well. Those are the folks that don't buy early. They walk up to the ticket window and buy a ticket to come in. So expecting, as we always are, great crowds in St. Louis, uh, great crowds at Worldwide Technology Raceway, and some of those great crowds, the lead-in for them has been two races that have been nothing short of electrifying. That's the scene right now up to the minute on this Tuesday following Charlotte. Now, I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I am going to get Tony Pedregon on the phone. We're going to run through what we've seen so far in this countdown. We're going to run through what we should expect to see in uh, Madison, Illinois, Worldwide Technology Raceway. And we're going to talk about who those real threats are, who the faders may be, and who does still have the potential to rise after having maybe not the best first couple of races of this countdown. We'll go through all four categories and get you up to speed right after this on the NHRA Insider Podcast. All right, so we are back here on the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am joined now by NHRA on Fox analyst Tony Pedregon. Tony, what's happening, man? Good morning. Good morning. I'm trying to process if we're really going to St. Louis. Did it really happen that fast? Are we here? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. The last couple of weeks really have uh, kind of flown by, and it's one of the few times of the year we actually have a three in a row kind of outside the Western Swing. So, yeah, it does seem like it's really picked up speed. Yeah, yeah. You know, and one of the things that really stand out, Brian, I know we've got an agenda, you've got some things to talk about, but, you know, the back-to-back-to-back and and the three qualifying runs, yeah. you know, I, I was yeah. a little surprised. I look in advance to, you know, kind of coordinate my travel and, you know, three runs. And I, I know that, uh, you know, of course, some of the drivers and teams, you know, they really prefer four. And I'm sure that's going to be a conversation that they're going to have with NHRA. Yeah. But, you know, there's, again, once again, there is the perspective from the racers, from the teams. And you have to you have to listen to NHRA's view because, you know, they factor in economics, logistics, and a lot of other things and uh you know economics being the cost and you know the attendances and just yeah. everything else that we're up against so i it'll be interesting to see where that goes during the off season yeah i agree and, and kind of on that point um you know this is another three qualifying session race now the big difference here between charlotte and st louis is that we got 19 top fuel cars and 18 funny cars as well as 18 pro stocks so uh, we went from a situation where anybody that showed up through the pull through the gate and Charlotte was going to race, but now we have three qualifying sessions that were guaranteed a bump spot. So that is, to me, a big change. It really is on several levels. There's no free pass, guys, no. this weekend for the number one <laughs> qualifier. You know, even yeah. if it's uh, if it's what you want to consider a duck, which I don't know that there's too many of them left around. Some of these independent teams we've talked about over and over, they've gotten better, they've improved. You know, the bump spots are a lot better. Uh, you know, it gives us better drama going into that last qualifying session on Saturday. Um, you know, but mostly I think that puts teams in a much different position that they, they, they realize there's not a lot of leeway uh, because there's only three runs. And, you know, they can't go out there and, and, you know, botch the show. If they go out there and push really hard without any pressure, you know, they're going to go into that Saturday 
not qualified, especially in that last session. And that just adds so much pressure that they, they don't want to deal with at this stage of the season. Yeah, and, and look, it's going to be a much different uh, atmosphere, especially on Saturday and Sunday. Friday night will be fast, and the Nitro cars get on the racetrack at about 7 o'clock, depending on the schedule and how the day goes. But at a minimum, they'll be on at 7 o'clock. So it will be, I think, irrefutably, the best session of the weekend in terms of being able to grab a number one spot. It's going to be in the high 80s on Saturday and Sunday. So we're going to see... Uh, almost a more supercharged version of what we saw in Charlotte. And and really the one thing that changed in Charlotte was the rainstorm we got on Saturday that pushed that Saturday day session back. Um, it, that really kind of changed things in terms of uh, approach perspective, right? Because if, if Saturday in Charlotte had run on schedule, we're not talking about Mike Salinas running 300 miles an hour in the eighth mile. Yeah, you know, that could... That could almost go either way. I, okay. I would teeter on that only because of the cloud cover. You know, if there was cloud cover yeah. and the track temperature was, let's say, 90 degrees, um, you know, not not so much closer to 100 degrees. But I think anytime it's in that range, you know, the sky's the limit. But I think because and, and I'm going to agree with you on this one, because of those conditions, I think most of the teams that that had had this, the right strategy i think they realized look we have to go above and beyond anything yeah. that we've ever done so that this car doesn't shake and and i agree i think that is the reason that we saw the 300 from salinas and and even the other team that got close which was a very pleasant surprise to see entron run 299 yeah no it was great and and along those lines before we get into kind of looking at st louis I got an email from a fan. It was actually it was a good email. It wasn't a typical, uh, you know, whining, onion cutting, crying email. It was actually good. It had a, it had an interesting question in it. And the question he asked me was, why was there so much tire smoke early on in the day in the left lane on Sunday at Charlotte? And I think this is worth talking about because it's a it's a next level kind of look that a lot of fans I don't think get to. And he was asking, was there something wrong with the racetrack? And and. I don't blame the guy for asking that because that's always the default. We always blame the damn racetrack. You've talked about it, but that always becomes the thing. We kick the cat, we blame the racetrack. But it, it had nothing to do with that, in my opinion. I think it was based on the fact that this was a very fast field and most of the guys in the left lane were trying to press to keep up. You know, about 5,000 years ago, it was the goat, right? That was where the, the term scapegoat came from. They'd send the goat out there. They'd put all their, all their sins and everything they've done wrong. And now it's the racetrack. It's the specific lane. But, but I, I think that is the biggest misconception. And that, you know, it's just the observation, what people yeah. are seeing. And, and I realize it develops into a pattern. But you and I, I, I know you and I try to point that out on the show. You know, typically the higher qualified car is going to get lane choice. Yeah. And, and I think it's so common that, you know, the underdog, well, they have to do something. They have to push. They have to press, especially when you see that tougher car what they've done in qualifying. I mean, if they've just made right. three runs, you're not going to get close to, you have to try something. And occasionally, um, I, and I would say, you know, 40 or not, not quite 50% of the time you have some teams that just realize, look, we cannot run that. So we're just going to try to stay in our lane and run our four Oh and hope they make a mistake. Now we did see several cars, uh, you know, like caps, we saw some upsets yeah. and some of those cars got loose early in the run, but you know, I'm pretty sure if you go back to their tuners, they're going to say, look, our car was just running too hard. And occasionally, we'll see a lot of upsets like that. Um, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, when they see a quicker car, you, you saw Tasco ran 89. I think yeah. uh, Hagen went out, made a good run. But, you know, I think it's more of the patterns that develop 
for those reasons rather than you know the lane now occasionally we still see that but it doesn't take one or two cars to go down yeah. the track and the track specialist to recognize something on the track and any tray will not hesitate to go out there scrape it drag it spray it do whatever it takes to create that parity between the lanes and i think today it's better than it had it i think it's ever it's better than it's ever been i know you go back 20 25 years there were some one lane racetracks but you know of course there were tuners that were able yeah. to deal with that like dick LaHaye. yeah and look i think the to me when i responded to this guy i said you know the paul lee run if you're going to pick one run out of the first round that 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 shows you there was nothing wrong with that side of the racetrack when Paulie went down there and ripped off another low 90 um yeah we had all those upsets in funny car it was it was wild i mean it was really pretty crazy how many how many bottom half qualifiers managed to get into the second round and then of course you end up with Laughlin uh racing Richards for a shot to the semis uh not a day or a ladder or a bracket that i think i saw coming out of the first round yeah, and I think the bigger surprise is the fact that, you know, Caps is really, you know, there's a team that's in the chase, in the hunt. Uh, they also realize that, you know, there's not a lot of hit or miss. Or rather, there's you, you don't want to miss too many times. You really want to minimize those first-round exits. Yeah. And now they have one, uh, but you always second-guess it. You know, and if you look at the pattern in qualifying, you know, no one goes out and makes a run intending um, – you know, intending to, to, you know, smoke the tires. Sure. Um, but occasionally, and I'm going to guess that one of the things that, that, you know, Aunt Dean Antonelli will look back on occasionally these cars will just, they'll wear the clutch a little bit differently. Uh, you know, when the air changes and, and it really didn't change much from the last qualifying run to what they saw Sunday morning, but any subtle change in the way that their engine revs up or the way that their clutch wears, um, you know, that, that can change the game just enough. It could push the car over the edge just enough that it can see that, you know, that excessive uh, wheel speed. That makes sense. Uh, let's start kind of doing a little class-by-class class breakdown here, as I like doing. Um, in Pro Stock Motorcycle, you know, I think the biggest lesson I came out of out of uh, Charlotte with and was the fact that no matter – and I'm not taking a shot at Matchup by saying this, but you can't win a title relying on blockers. I guess that's the thing I learned. And and I wasn't necessarily in that mind of the train of thought when I left Maple Grove. I thought, man, maybe this actually works for the guy, but I just don't think you can do it for six races and have it be a championship strategy. No, no, not. Uh, I mean, it, even at that stage, you're not going to make, you know, of course, one of my concerns is, you know, don't make it look bad. If you're going to throw a race, do it the right way. If you're going to do it, the rule book says no, but you know, at, at this level, you know, that's one of the concerns, but yeah. I, I'll tell you this. And I think to your point, you can, you can roll 10 of them out. And unless one of those bikes are competitive and are within a couple of hundreds of Gage Herrera, it's not going to happen. He's going to mow those things over like, uh, you know, like dominoes. So, and essentially that's kind of what he's doing. Yeah. Look, they, they did not make the mistake they made in Maple Grove this weekend. And the result was, um, he, he crushed the field. Uh, he crushed the field and, and he did it in his, in his quiet way that he has done all year long. And, you know, he has those bumps in the road, which frankly, I kind of like, I'm, I'm not rooting against the guy, but I do like it when somebody has to actually recover from something as opposed to just, just smashing everybody. Um, he still has to ride the bike properly. He still has to do all his job, but you know, the fact that, uh, this isn't just simply being handed to him and it's not some sort of a wacko six race sweep, I think speaks to him and speaks to that team. Yeah, and I think some of those little uh, hurdles, some of those little stumbling blocks that he had, 
uh, it, to this point, uh, they've only made him better. Yeah. You know, I think they've made him mentally stronger. They've, I think he has learned how to deal with pressure better because there is no, there is no greater pressure than where we're at right now. And, you know, he's been there. He's done that. He's already made the mistakes. And I think it's important, you know, of course he's humble. You can tell yeah, in his interviews and how he carries himself. And I think that just, that's a credit to how he was raised. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, but you and I both know we've, been around this sport long enough enjoy it while you can because yeah. you know, whether it's a set of rules or you know yeah. or some of the other teams just getting better enjoy it while you can win as many as you can and if you can clean house clean house and i think that's what they're planning on doing you and i look oh, at yeah. how that bike performs yeah. and it's like it's the same machine from from what i can see i mean he's got a teammate and eddie craywick has paid his dues he's been there for a long time and somehow they bring this this you know rookie end to ride this bike and it's outperforming eddie's um you know by you know by a pretty good margin so it really makes you wonder is that the bike yeah it's pretty good but i gotta tell you that rider has got to be doing something right so you have to give you have to give of course the team credit they have all the resources they have the talent they have a great tuner that has experience and has championships that's coaching gauge along the way but there's something that he is doing on that machine to to you know, to make uh, make some of the difference up. Yeah, and you know, we saw Hector on a junior. You know, give it his give it give it his best shot. I mean, it's like everybody goes up there, and you just effectively you try to be perfect, right? You you take your best shot at almost trying to cut a perfect light because you need anything this guy's going to give you. Um, I can't fault him for going red. You can never fault anybody for going red in that scenario. But to me, it's like the ultimate. The ultimate sign of where your motorcycle is and where your program is is not only is this guy riding it well, but other people are just kind of throwing themselves on their sword trying to win. It's it's pretty wild. I think they're throwing themselves on the coals is what they're doing. <laughs> right. I, I, I haven't done it yet. They're throwing themselves in the volcano. And I, I think that's a mistake. I, and I, I, I guarantee you, when you and I look back at yeah. the stats, we will probably see more red light oh, yeah. this year than in the history of this sport yeah. um i get it you know some of these pro stock drivers pro stock bike riders are pretty quick but yeah. for crying out loud you you eliminate your chance Done. and if you go to the starting line with a a five percent chance of winning it's not great but you throw it away when you red yeah. light so i don't understand it i think at some point those repeat offenders would would just take a step back and say you know this isn't this isn't the definition of a good driver, a good lever, a quick lever, and I, I just you know I, I don't understand. I thought it would get better at this point. No, but it's just it's going backwards. You know, that's not yeah. For any of those that are listening, it's not talent, guys, and and I'm not the only one that would tell you that. But I do recognize it. I do see it, and you know it's just it makes it very uninteresting for a race because anything can happen. You yeah. know we've seen Terry Haddock red light two times in the last two races, and I get it. He hasn't been in that position uh, that often, but you want to know what pressure's like, and you want to know why Robert Height and Caps and Hagen compete at a high level. They have good cars, but it's no coincidence that they are high-level drivers as well. And you know, guys, if those are your heroes, you know that's it. It takes something to get there, and um, I don't know. I kind of like to see some of the red lights 
uh, you know, start to, I'd like to see some reduction in them sometime soon. Well, yeah, and, and we can move right into Pro Stock Car here, and, and, you know, Greg Anderson has not fallen prey to the red light as much as he's fallen prey to sometimes a, a 40 or a 50 light that's gotten him in trouble. Uh, that did not happen to him last weekend, and for the first time in maybe an entire calendar year close to it, he actually had, on race day, the best car on the property. He, he has not necessarily had the best car on the racetrack on race day at all this season, which has probably led to some of the frustrations he's experienced as far as getting close and not being able to, to actually win a race. But once he got ahead of steam behind him on Sunday, that thing was not going to be stopped. Yeah, and it's great to see uh, for Greg, you know, and of course he's had one of the better cars a few times this season, but uh, it's nice to see him get into a groove, you know, and I think that's something that's very important for a driver because you're not always going to wake up and be quick. I mean, you have good days. Uh, sometimes you have real good days, and there are times that even the best just wake up and that car just doesn't seem to respond. It doesn't yeah. seem to react. So then the driver has to make up the difference. You know, you see some drivers – you know, deep staging and, you know, deep staging isn't the end all well. It's not the solution to make you quick. It's just a tactic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I see some drivers just kind of living by that and, um, you know, and it's starting to catch up to them. But uh, Greg Anderson had a great race. Uh, he had a good car. And, you know, I think, um, you know, you always look back and I'm sure that Greg does this because I think any good driver critiques what he does and how he got there. And I'm sure he's going to look back on that semifinal and, and see that, you know, hey, Erica had a problem. Um, would he have beat her? Uh, he, gave up, he gave up some performance on the starting line, but you don't always have to be the quickest. You just have to get to the finish line ahead of your opponent. But I hope that it helps give Greg not just confidence, but, but gets him in a little rhythm because you look at his reaction time in the final, and that's what you call taking care of business. Yeah, and, and let's talk about Dallas Glenn, too, because we saw Dallas all of a sudden look like the guy who seemed to have disappeared for a couple of months. Um, reaction time-wise, starting line-wise, attack level-wise, that's the guy that held on to the points lead for a lot of the season, and that's the guy you and I have, have openly wondered for the middle part of the summer and the early part of the fall kind of where he went. <laughs> I, Brian, you and I, I, I see, I just try to look at patterns and mostly performance of the drivers of yeah. the car. And, you know, Dallas is probably one of those drivers and one of those teams that I thought, you know, he's, he's kind of showing himself the door. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of, I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. And it just goes to show you what a good race and how it can turn things around and of course, you know, that hourglass, that sand, the clock is ticking, but I think he, he made those improvements. He made those adjustments at the right time and getting to the final and, you know, getting beat, um, that's okay. You got to the final, yeah. you did gain a little bit of ground and, you know, of course, any of these teams will tell you semifinals, uh, runner up, uh, wins even better, but the late rounds is, is that's the only way you're going to be within striking range at that last race of the year so matt hartford has the points lead still it is a very 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 small lead but he still has it so this race in st louis to me is going to be like the big this is going to be the big like expose for matt hartford to show us 
just how kind of good, just what kind of metal this team has. Because right now, the uh, the alligators are trying to chew on his ass, right? They're right there. And so <laughs> he's never been in this spot before, meaning leading the points this late in the season. He's never been in a position to have to basically fend off this attack. So this is where I kind of want to see what this guy's made of, right? Yeah, I think I'm sure that he wants to find that out too. You know, I see a level of confidence in Matt. Um but there's no denying as good as he is, you know, occasionally, um, and, and sometimes those breaks, you know, sometimes they'll go your way. But if you look at, you know, Dallas Glenn in the final in 043, yeah. um, you know, even Greg in the semifinal in 043, when, when you see that pattern, more are going to go against you than they're going to work for you. I mean, there's no replacement for being quick all the time. And we've seen it from before, but at this stage, I think that focus is going to be really important because what it comes down to, and I, I've always felt this way, I still feel this way about, I mean, I watch the NBA, NFL, and our sport, you know, the parallels are getting to the championship, you're going to have to win, there's going to be a big moment, but we see that big moment yeah. closer to the end, we'll see that at Vegas or the finals but there are big races. There are some big rounds, and those are the ones that have to go your way. We saw one of them against Erica, um, you know, a couple sure. of races ago. Sure. But I, I just think at this stage, uh, you need to have less of those and more of the good ones. But you know, again, that's what separates the champions from, you know, from the guys that just want to want to do it. You know, I, I hate to say want to be. Because these are yeah. these are all talented drivers, and they've gone through a lot. They've made a lot of sacrifices. Yeah, they're out there living their dream. We hear about. That. I don't really care to hear about that part of it. <laughs> but what I see is I see life on the road that is is has a high level of danger, and all of these drivers make those sacrifices. And it's just great to see, you know, the talent really show and who has you know, who has the, the mental fortitude and who has more mental toughness than the next one. And that leads us to the funny car winner um, in in Charlotte, which is Bob Tasker of the third. What a race, uh, kind of a defining race for that team. And now the guy's second in the points. And we've seen him in that third, fourth, fifth slot over the lot of the season. But, you know, what they did in Charlotte was – I mean, they stood right there and matched wits with everybody, right? They, they're out there running 83. I mean, it is it is as fast as that car has ever been. When it's needed to be fast, it is fast now. He's never had that before. He's never had that ability to go and really look those guys in the eye and tell them that he can run with them. Nope, nope, never had it. It was fleeting. It was it was hot and cold, and that, that level of inconsistency, it'll never get the job done. It never had in the past. And, you know, I think one thing important to recognize, and I'm pretty sure the competition realizes that now, is Tasca has gone toe-to-toe with these guys a lot. Yeah. During the regular season, now in the countdown, when he wins, he, he can run the table, so you cannot deny that. It's no longer three. We pretty much said this after, you know, probably the first third of the season. What was three is now four. And, you know, anyone can flash. Um, and, and, you know, cause a little disruption. But, you know, I think Tasker has to be taken and is taken and considered a legitimate threat at this point. And, you know, if, if you line all these cars up and said, I just, and I always say this, I always think this way because the way I was raised and, you know, Le Mans and when they used to run and jump in a car, yes. I'd jump in that car. Yeah. That's the best car right now. 
and that consider that's saying a lot when you when you consider that you know Proc ran eighty two and Robert and and Hagen they, they were just matching blows and then you know when Tasker ran that eighty three it's like these guys can do what everybody else yeah. can do and then some but it's the way he's driving uh, you know I think we heard Aaron Brooks say well we've got a bunch of young guys they they kind of it's, it's like an island of misfits and I say that in the best way because that's the term from Moneyball when the Oakland A's. They were just a bunch of misfits that nobody else wanted. And all of a sudden, you know, they're playing for the title. So I think that's what we see here. There's just, there's young guys that didn't have a lot of experience. And it happened so late in the season that they really didn't have much of a choice. They didn't have much of a selection. Some yeah. of those other teams, you know, there was a new owner in the sport. He was paying pretty good money. He was promising, you know, your own room and per diem. That is hard for a team owner to compete yeah. with. But somehow they managed to round this group of guys that, that are pretty efficient. I mean, we saw that motor change in between rounds. Yes, yes. And one of the things, Brian, that you and I recognized was, you know, it wasn't just Aaron Brooks. It was Todd Okahar. So you have two legitimate guys that know everything. They know how to do everything. And they're not just standing there watching. And then you have Scott Okahara, who that, that guy can, can build a car with his eyes closed. So there's so much talent that I think is the reason that they've taken some of that younger talent and, and made that such a good team. So they got it all. Let's talk a little bit about Ron Cap. So obviously he has that huge explosion at the finish line on Saturday night. Uh, you know, that we can see that the body's broken. There was uh, obviously some mechanical devastation there. Um, and God only knows, I had not talked to Ron to find out how late they were at the racetrack. But that was already a late night before any of that happened i have to guess that those guys are probably there close to, to sun up probably hours of work and then they come out and and suffer the consequences of that the next day do they have enough time to go back to indy and and do anything or are they just going to load whatever they have and go go to st louis like what to, in your estimation what is their timeline and what is their approach here well i, I haven't spoke with uh with ron or with uh with dean but you know, it's on the way. So there's no question that that rig is going to make a stop. Maybe they have to trade out some inventory, but yeah. maybe they don't. You know, these these teams are so well-equipped, and it's not just the uh, the primary race car hauler. You know, they have what they call their tech trailer, support trailer. It carries inventory. So, you know, they're probably going to take that body and, and get it, you know, into the carbon shop right away, trade bodies out. You know, but outside of that, you know, they're going to go to the next one, and service the car. I, I, I'm sure it took a little while, or maybe it didn't take long for him to, for Dean, the tuner, to realize what happened and how it happened. I mean, some of these tuners, they, they're just so good, and they have can monitor so much data on the race car that he's probably got a pretty good idea of what happened and why it did that. And occasionally, they're going to look, the good ones I've noticed, are more humble, and they're not, they will not hesitate to say, look, I was just trying to run too hard. Yeah. You know, even though even though they had a good opponent, you know, sometimes that does happen. So, you know, the one thing about that team, and I learned this, you can't count them out. No. You know, because when you see Robert perform the way he did, and then sometimes Hagen will just have a good race, and it, it's like, and even Tasca now, when they win, it almost seems like they're going to be unbeatable. And then here comes Cass that does the same thing. So I'm not going to count them out. And uh, I think that happened last year where they got – they came on strong at the end, and 
you know, they, they're still holding the championship, at least for a few more races. Jimmy Brock had, had one of the most unintentionally funny quotes of the entire weekend, and, and certainly he wasn't in the best of moods when he gave it to us, but Bruno went down there to interview him and ask about the car after Robert's car after the huge explosion, and he said, well, the body's no good, and none of the engine parts are any good, but really, other than that, everything's <laughs> fine, and, and it was such kind of a drag racer moment, you know, it was like this thing where it's like, well, all this stuff's expendable anyway, and so we just had to clear, broom it out and put and put the new stuff in. Chassis was obviously okay. But man, what a what kind of a baller move is you know, they blow the thing to pieces and they did not come out just deciding to, all right, let's tiptoe it down the first time and make sure everything's no, they came out and and fired a shot after after having to work to put that thing back together. It was it was to me a pretty good study in what that team's made of. Well, that is why Proc has been and always over the last probably twenty years has been the most sought after tuner, or at least one of two. Yeah. So he's very elite. And, you know, of course, Robert Robert has evolved into, uh, like I said earlier, a high-level driver. Uh, he does a pretty good job. He's he's very solid. And, um, you know, of course, they've, they've got the talent. I, I put, I'll give you some context here. You, you look at Caps' interview after his explosion. There was pain. There was true pain because now he's he's not he's not just a driver. Yeah, he's uh, you know he's got to pay for it. So the guy that has to pay for it, there's, you know, he's he's not yeah. going to be so so easy just to dismiss. Well, it was just this this and this. And and I'm not saying that that Jimmy doesn't have you know any respect for the financial right. aspect of of these cars. But honestly, there's got to be less pain. I mean, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But his biggest concern is the driver's not hurt, the parts are replaceable. Yeah. And the team owner knows that, hey, those things happen on the way to the top. They always have. They always will. Um, you know, and, of course, Robert said in his interview that, you know, he kind of heard something different. He felt something a little different. I think there may have been some communication to the tuner, to Jimmy. I think they recognized something as well. But, you know, it just caught everybody off guard. And I, I don't think that anyone would have, um, you know, would have second-guessed that decision. You know, sometimes these cars just don't sound right, and they build up a little temperature, and, you know, I can't tell you how many times I sat in the car and thought, man, this thing just doesn't sound good, and it went out and set quick time. So, you know, it's just one of those racing incidents, but the fact that they, you know, I'm sure that they worked, um, you know, all night and and got that car back, and, and just the way they responded. You know, it's it's almost like getting hit with a good shot, yeah. And then they they landed a knockout blow by you know by running that eighty four, yeah, making their way to the final round as well. And the last thing we got to talk about here is top fuel, and and you know, I there's not even really words for it for me at this point. It's like the one the the moment you think is is really going to go sideways for Doug is at Maple Grove. Tire explodes at the lights. He does a great job getting the car to the finish line. And you just kind of have this feeling, well, the backup car is coming out, and we know how that thing ran last year, so this is uh, yet another example of how this guy's just going to get one tucked to him. Lo and behold, that was the best thing that ever happened to this guy. <laughs> it's one of those good accidents. It's serendipity, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think they were close. I mean, they fired that shot with the canopy car Yeah. to start the season. Well, early in the season, they ran good in Gainesville and Phoenix. We saw that big run. I think it was in Brainerd. Uh, we saw another big one, but they just couldn't do it consistently. So, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it. You know, I'm sure Alan knows and understands it better than anyone. And we've asked him, but, you know, sometimes these tuners, they'll kind of tiptoe around what we really want to know. And um, I, I just think it's a combination of, 
of it appears to me that it's a combination that they were on the brink of of figuring out how to be more consistent and that's the only thing that they lacked oh sure right yep I mean, absolutely that's the semifinals they blew the tires off <clears throat> i believe it was an indy and if it wasn't it was at brainerd but i know it was one of these recent races yeah i mean they made they the had, two they made the two finals uh during the western swing as well yeah yeah so i mean that, i think they were knocking on the door but now they have just smashed that door down and you know i think that doug is going to be you know right now if i had to put money on one team i'm putting it on doug i'm pushing all my chips that way as a matter of fact i think that steve is going to be tough i know that some of uh, some of the questions that he has been asked about the struggle it's like if that is a struggle i want to struggle in life <laughs> right i'm asking yeah. for that struggle because they're a good team and even when he is off He's still a pretty good driver, right? He's got great car control. Um, He gets up for certain races. I think he's just, you know, he's a little frustrated because, you know, he's given away. uh, He's gotten beat on some hole shots. But, you know, this is a different part of the season right here. This is all that matters. I think he's going to be there. I think that, uh, you know, of course, that run that Antron made, it was was overshadowed by the Salinas run on Friday night. But, you know, every time I... I want to think, man, these guys just can't. They they lack consistency or they lack the big punch. Every time I start thinking that, they show up and, and they're consistent or or they, they make a 365 run at 299 in the eighth of a mile. So I'm not going to count him out. But right now, you got to think that Doug is, uh, you know, he's he's got the – He's he's got the, the Midas touch. He does, and he's got a decent little lead uh, right now that he's obviously going to try to grow. When we look at when we look at Justin Ashley, it's the opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, it has been it is, it is a, almost a tough thing to watch. They get two back to back first round losses here. Um, f- this is it for them. If if they if they produce another first round loss in St. Louis, uh, then the next the next three races are going to be a glorified test session for 2024, in my opinion, because. The way this is going, you can't. You just can't give it up. For Doug, qualifying is going to be absolutely imperative, as it always is, but it gets even more so. Now, when you have this points lead, you need top half or better because you need at least a minimum of somebody that's been not that great in the first round. You need those early round wins. For Justin Ashley, it's almost like it's all or or nothing here for him in St. Louis. Yeah, and I think the only problem that Doug is going to have, and there's two of them that, that I just – I, they're, they're noticeable to me because of this time of year, because what is at stake There's two, there's two problems that Doug has winning three races in a row is hard to do mentally. It, it just is, you know, it, we watch it. Um, you know, we, we can hit the pedal sitting on our couch, right. but it's not an easy thing to do because you've just reeled off two wins. And the pattern that I've seen that I've noticed is, you know, Doug, while he was pretty consistent, but the, the other problem that he's going to have, and, and I just, I think mentally maintaining that high level of focus is, is going to be the key. I think he can do it, <clears throat> but, but I think that's one of the things that, you know, that, that, that could, could be at risk. And the other problem that he's going to have is when Justin Ashley shows up with that car and, and starts plunking them 20 and 30 lights, which I think, I think at this stage, he's going to resort back to that. I don't think he's going to lay up. I think we've seen a, a couple of runs and just a couple. It's like that's the worst this guy is, is a 40 or 50 reaction time. Yeah. But, but I, think, I think what has happened, I think he comes off very humble. That's great. 
he was raised right. He's very well mannered, but underneath that, that lies a wolf and we've seen it. And I think when that car quits smoking the tires, because we all know that that car can run 366 when the conditions are right, it can run 368 over and over down the racetrack. When that car shows up and this guy starts doing what he can do on the starting line, I don't know that anyone can compete with that. So right now for Doug, I mean, hey, get them while they're down, kick them, do whatever you can. Don't spin on them, just kick them. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that's going to be the interesting thing. And, of course, you know, when Antron shows up and, you know, Leah flashes, there's some inconsistency on the starting line. But that's a good car. You know, uh, one of the stats is that she's accumulated the second uh, uh, highest amount of points during this countdown over the cup, first couple of races. So uh, that right there tells you that that's a pretty good machine. So if, if you had to pick one of these three, who is the bigger threat to Doug out of these three racers, Leah, Antron, or Brittany? And they are uh, respectively 76 points back for Leah, 92 for Antron, and 106 back for Brittany. Antron, I just I see some, some glitches. They're very, very subtle glitches. The one thing about Antron, and, and I, I only see this, you know, if I, if I had to pick one funny car driver – that just shows up, you know, and Tasca, I think the, you know, that is to be determined because he's had some pretty good races. But if I had to pick one driver in funny car, I'm going to say, you know, Matt Hagen shows up all the time. Yeah. You know, as yeah. good as the other ones are, as good as they are, I'm going to say that guy always shows up. And in top fuel, um, aside from Justin, it's Antron Brown. I mean, that car yeah. I think can run as good as, as any of them. And if I had to pick one driver, to go through eight drivers, um, you know, with the exception of Justin, I think it's, I, I would say, Antron Brown. It's like when we were in school, remember you'd pick the teams? Yeah. I want that guy right there. <laughs> so I just, you know, I think they're, they're very well-rounded. So one last point before I let you go, the uh, Mike Salinas run, 300 miles an hour in the eighth, was something that uh, Phillips Connect obviously put this bonus up last year. Um, we had seen some people kind of come close. You know, I can't I, – I have to admit, I wasn't – not just because it was Mike. I wasn't looking for it for anybody out of that session. It, not that – I guess it, it comes and goes in my mind. And now I'm going to be much more cogent of it because it's happened. And then we saw Antron go 299. But in that moment, it was a big surprise. It was as grand a surprise to me as maybe I've ever seen in this sport. It was a happy surprise. But, damn, they absolutely <laughs> crushed it. I was looking at I was looking at the end result, which yeah, is always the last time. Then I then the top speed stuck out, and you were the one that pointed out the eighth mile speed. I just I completely missed it, and you know we I know there have been a few races where we thought we had good conditions, and we did have good condition conditions, but not necessarily the track that corresponded with that. Yeah. And you know we kind of forecasted a 300 mile an hour run at the eighth mile a few times, so I just I didn't expect it, and um, you know it was a pleasant surprise and. You know, just looking back on that run, you know, it's pretty pretty amazing just watching those header flames lay back and the tips of them and how how that car accelerated and it, it was it was quite the sight. It really is. And the last point I'll put on that is, uh, you know, Brett Kepner published a story. He has all these kind of cool conversion tables that use kind of top fuel performance and the quarter mile uh, from basically ninety two forward. And basically, if you extrapolate it out. 
and and if you extrapolate it out in the way that you don't have a a timing limiter at the top end, you 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 take some of the restrictions away. You know, Brett's Brett's math says that made in a less restricted era, that run turns into about three hundred and sixty-two miles an hour um, out the back for a quarter mile shot, which is just mind-boggling. Easy, easy. I mean, yeah. I you can go back a handful of years when before they had the rev limiters. When any tray was, you know, they, of course, they've always looked at how the tire performs at, the, at that high rate of speed. That's why, you know, 340 is, is that's getting a little dicey, yeah. you know, in terms of safety. <clears throat> but, you know, some of these teams had, uh, had the, you know, they have the front wheel sensors. And, you know, while these cars were running 330, I mean, they're seeing much, much bigger speeds that some of the drivers, they didn't shut the car off on time. So, you know, they've always gone quicker. It just doesn't yeah. get reported in that amount of time. So um you know while we brag about 330 they can go a lot faster than that uh you know it's just a safety issue but it you know it's just pretty pretty amazing that a tire can even withstand yeah. you know that that rate of speed and it's a, it's not just you know the stress it's the downforce and it's the heat that builds up in it and it's like it's pretty fascinating what what Goodyear has done just to allow you know this sport to you know to be that explosive and to see those kinds of speeds is nothing short of, of amazing. And a lot of years of work and development. And, um, you know, unfortunately a couple of, you know, bad incidents that have gotten us to this point, but here we are. Well, Tony, thanks for taking the time. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. We'll go to the Hill and get some uh, fried raviolis, get some good Italian food in the, uh, the great city (laughs) of St. Louis. We never, uh, we never miss when it comes to the uh, culinary arts of these cities. I can't wait to take a stroll under that St. Louis sun, <laughs> moon, downtown St. Louis. But look forward to it. Uh, we've seen some pretty, pretty amazing things and runs. And, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, you know, and, and we talked about how good all those teams have been. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not out of the heat. I think the forecast says maybe some mid 80s. And I think a couple of teams can enter this conversation that you and I had if they can come out holding the trophy. He's Tony Pedragon. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts in this episode of the NHRA Insider in just a minute. All right, so we are back here. Final thoughts on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast as the drag racing world gets ready to turn their eyes to Worldwide Technology Raceway just across the river from St. Louis and Madison, Illinois. It is a study in pressure, as Tony talked about. It's a study in results. It's a study in desperation. It is a study in how all of those things roll into a team either performing, delivering, or folding. And we're going to see some teams fold. This weekend will be, to a degree, to the majority of a degree, I would say, the place where championship hopes for anybody that's 80 or worse out die. Because at that point, you need to basically run the table and hope that anybody you're chasing falls off the wagon as well. The teams that come in here, whether they're points leaders or they're hopefuls, and deliver on what are the most important runs of the season are the ones that we will be paying the most attention to when we go to Dallas, when we go to Las Vegas, and ultimately when we go to Pomona, California. The way that Doug Coletta has been running... I think it is the first time in uh, many years that we look at that Mac Tools, Toyota RevChem Composites, Top Fuel Dragster, and say, I expect that car to win. I expect that car to win on Sunday. The other 15 qualified cars do not agree with me, nor will they agree with me when we get to Sunday morning. 
But when we have seen for two races straight, not slip and slide runs, not sneaking it by runs. Yes, he's had tight runs, but the car has been performing and doing everything they've asked of it. We'll find out what happens, not only to Doug Coletta, but for the rest of our points leaders. We talked about Matt Hartford, what a weekend this will be for him, potentially a defining weekend in the guy's professional drag racing career. Deliver here, maintain your lead, grow your lead, and now we're really talking about somebody that I have to put a lot of stock behind for a championship. If you go out first round here, I I have to say that that changes the outlook. I don't expect that to happen. I'm not rooting for that to happen. But just simply laying the cards on the table, looking at what logic tells you, looking at what the potential of performance tells us on this warm racetrack, it will be not only a crew chief race, it will be a driver tandem crew chief race. They will be drivers having to save runs, whether it's pro stock, whether it's pro stock bike. This will happen on Sunday. Mark my words. Mark my words. In almost all four professional categories, there will be driver intervention more so than we've seen at other events so far this year. It's going to be warm, as warm as it has been. Uh, really, maybe Indy, Western Swing will be the last two places we saw temperatures like we're going to see in the Worldwide Technology Raceway, NHRA Midwest Nationals this weekend. Make sure you tune in. We have qualifying, multiple qualifying shows, an elimination show on Sunday. It is going to be spectacular, and it is going to be high drama and tension. As always, thanks for watching and or listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Loans. I love being a part of the NHRA on Fox team, love being a part of the sport of drag racing, and certainly love being able to chat with you about it and with guys like Tony Pedragon and the drivers I'll have on next week. We'll find out who they are once we see how the race shakes out. Thanks again. We'll be back again next week with the NHRA Insider Podcast, and we'll switch gears and go back into the pit area, grab some drivers, maybe some crew chiefs, and get their opinion on how things are going and what things need to happen in order to win a world championship in 2023. We'll see you next week.